Amen, amen. Well, I want to say a good morning to you, church family. It is good to be with you here today. Uh, whether you're joining us here in person or online, we want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Happy Father's Day to all our dads out there. We love you guys. Uh, keep doing dad things, you know, whatever that is, annoying your kids, telling awful dad jokes, rocking that dad bod, you know, do, 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 just do, just, just go ahead and do it. Uh, we love you, dads. Happy Father's Day. Uh, friends, glad to be joined together in worship this morning. And uh, man, I just, I, 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 as we've been worshiping here already, uh, my prayer has been just ongoing from the beginning. Oh, God, have your way. Meet with us. Um, I just, I, I, I become increasingly more frustrated when the people of God gather together and it just feels like a natural thing. Like, there should be something of supernatural substance when the people of God gather together. Amen? Like, do, do you believe that? There should be something of, something of transcendence, like something of, that, that is marked by God when the people of God gather together. And so, uh, my prayer has been as such all morning, and, and it continues to be so. And my prayer is that you would walk out of here feeling like, man, I, I feel like I really met with God. You know, like I really felt like God met with me, and uh, man, that would be, what a, what a joyful Father's Day gift that would be to me and, and, and all of us, uh, I trust that it would be. Uh, my name is Dan Mann. For those of you who, who may not know, I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, Pastor Aaron and his family are away on vacation, so pray for them. Pray for times of refreshment and, and joy and uh, rejuvenation for them during that time. And um, I want to I just uh, say that I'm delighted to be here with you. Uh, to, to, to clarify something from last week, uh, some of you have been wondering how many cups of coffee I drink before I preach. Um, it's only one just one cup of coffee. I have a latte in the morning and the occasional Americano in the afternoon, uh, but uh, my, my preaching ministry, I assure you, is not fueled by caffeine, okay? It's not fueled by my caffeine addiction. Uh, just wanted to put that out there and make sure you all knew that, but uh, if you were with us last week, you would know that we kicked off a brand new sermon series called No Other Gospel. In fact, would you say those three words with me this morning? No Other Gospel. No Other Gospel is the title of this series that we're in. And this is a study based out of the book of Galatians. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Galatians chapter one is where we're gonna be spending our time here this morning. And speaking of spending our time, these next, uh, the summer months ahead of us, journey through the book of Galatians. Uh, we sort of took a fast track through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Galatians is gonna kind of be a different pace. We're gonna take a nice, slow, steady pace through through the book of Galatians chapter and verse is what we're gonna uh, uh, work through. And, uh, and if you missed last week's message, I would strongly encourage you to go back and take a listen online as Pastor Aaron gave a strong word he gave us a strong word on finding our identity in the finished work of Christ, finding our righteousness not in performance or effort, not being bound by legalism, but rather finding who we are in the grace of Jesus and in the finished work of Christ. And that's what we're talking about when we say no other gospel. We believe that the gospel of Jesus offers us something that no other gospel can offer us. We believe that there's something intrinsically different and unique about the gospel of Jesus. And we're gonna continue to unpack that in the coming weeks ahead, including this morning. 
And so I want to look at Galatians chapter 1 and pick up where we left off last week. And so meet me at verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. I'll be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, and that's what uh, what we'll have up here on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, feel free to uh, follow along with us on the screen or follow along in whatever translation of the Bible you have in front of you. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. This is what it says. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ Jesus. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. In verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. You know, um, (laughs) the last service, someone came up to me, a seasoned veteran, a saint in the faith, and she said, you know, Dan, I, was, I remember sitting down this past week and reading through this passage you just preached through, and I thought to myself, what is that? <laughs> like, what is that? And, and I remember I, I told her, I said, I had the same experience. On Monday morning, I opened up the passage that I was supposed to preach on, and I said, okay, Lord, what is that? <laughs> Where do I go from here? When you read a passage like this, the passage that we have today, you might be wondering, okay, what, like, could, could, could God have anything to say through this particular text? And I would say, without doubt, yes. I do believe God has a word for us. I want to talk to you today about the transforming gospel. That's the title of my message here today. If you're taking notes down, you could jot that down. The transforming gospel. I wonder how many of you love a good transformation story. We love a good transformation story, don't we? Uh, you know, m- movies like The Shawshank Redemption comes to mind for me. You know, as you watch Tim Robbins' character Andy develop over the course of the film, he serves his time in prison. You you watch this powerful story unfold, a, a one of redemption, one of personal transformation. It's a powerful story. Our, our family recently watched a, a movie called A Man Called Otto, uh, starring Tom Hanks. It's a great little film. If you didn't watch it, it's, the, the basic premise is it's a story of a, a grumpy old man who had lost his wife, and he sort of hates the world. It's Otto against the world. He hates everything about the world. He hates all the world. But through a series of encounters and events, you begin to see this grumpy old man soften up And towards the end of the movie, he becomes something entirely different, a story of transformation. I'm sorry if I ruined the movie for anyone. 
You should still watch it. It's a great movie. Uh, what, what, about, what about classic Disney films like Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, The Little Mermaid, right? They all tell a story of radical transformation. Pastor Aaron mentioned Frozen last week, so I thought I could just keep that Disney train moving right along. You know? but, but think about it. Beauty and the Beast tells a story of a terrifying beast who becomes this gentle, charming prince. And Cinderella the disdained sister becomes the most sought-after princess in all the lands. And, and the little mermaid, the, the mermaid, quite literally becomes a person with two functional working legs, all for what? To pursue love up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay. I know you want to sing along, up where they stay all day in the sun, right? Like, you know the deal. We love, we love stories of transformation. We love it. And yet, friends, I am fully convinced that one of the most powerful stories of transformation that we see is not on the big screens of Hollywood out there told by movie directors and screenwriters. One of the most powerful stories of transformation that we see is actually right inside the pages of our Bibles. Today's passage, if you didn't catch it, tells a story of a life that was completely, radically transformed in an undeniable way. I want to take a closer look at the story and then maybe give us a few pointers and takeaways at the end of our time here in just a moment. But this passage opens up with the Apostle Paul basically proclaiming that he is preaching a gospel that he received not from man, but from Christ himself. He says in verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, in other words, that's Paul's way of saying, hey, let me be crystal clear. Listen up. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it. How? Through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In these opening verses right out of the gate, Paul is doing something profoundly important. Paul is trying to prove the authenticity, the purity, the power of the gospel. He's saying this gospel ain't like other gospels. There's something intrinsically different about this gospel. There is no other gospel than this gospel that I'm preaching, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's because during this time, you need to understand, there were whole lots of groups of people that were seeking to pollute the purity of the gospel. They were trying to subvert and divert the, the, the authenticity of the gospel. There was a group of Jewish extremists, if you will, who were preaching a gospel that was vastly different than the gospel that Paul was preaching, than the gospel of Jesus. If you were with us last week, Pastor Aaron mentioned this quite a bit. This group of Jews called Judaizers were trying to convince all the non-Jewish believers, aka the Gentile believers, aka you and me, all the non-Jewish believers, that they weren't truly saved unless they followed and adhered to all the Jewish laws and all the Jewish customs and all the Jewish traditions. And so these Judaizers would go into these churches and they would call all the worshiping people out and they would line them up like kind of how they would, I mean, just imagine these Judaizers saying, all right, everyone at State College and Lions Church, line up down Whitehall Road, okay? And uh, they would take out their knives and scalpels and say, today's the day of circumcision, okay? All right, line up. we're gonna form circumcision lines, okay? And they would, they would say okay that's the bad news but the good news is the good news is after all of that you'll be saved you'll be right with God 
God will be pleased with you. Now, just to, just to clarify, I am not saying with biblical authority that there were circumcision lines being formed, but, but you get the point. They were saying, Jesus, faith in Christ is not enough. You've got to become truly Jewish and follow and adhere to all the laws and the customs of the Jewish ways. And Paul gets wind of this. He gets wind of this that's happening in the Galatian area, and he's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what? What are you guys saying? No, 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 this is not it. This is not good news. This is not the gospel. But the churches in Galatia were buying into this alternative version of the gospel, which is why Paul states right out of the gate, this is not it. There is another gospel, the true gospel, the authentic gospel, the real gospel. And Paul's like, listen, lest you think that the gospel that I'm preaching is, is somehow received by man, or lest you think that the, this gospel that I'm preaching was handed to me by the early church apostles, he's like, I haven't even seen them. I haven't, I haven't seen all this talk in verses 17 and preceding. Paul's like, I went away to Arabia, then to Damascus, then I went to see Peter for 15 days, then I saw James for a little while at a coffee shop. You know, I saw him there, but I didn't really talk with him. In verse 22, Paul's like, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And in other words, he's saying, this gospel that I'm preaching to you was not doctored up by people. It didn't go through this filtration process of man after man, and it was, it was passed on to me by men. This gospel that I'm preaching is pure it's untarnished it is true it's authentic it is the real deal because it didn't come from man but this gospel that i'm preaching came from the very messiah the risen savior himself king jesus and i love what paul does next he's like okay in case you don't believe me in case you don't believe me to prove this fact furthermore paul goes on to say I want you to know, my life has been changed because of this gospel. My life is radically different because of I am no longer the same person that I used to be upon encountering Christ and his gospel. In verse 13, Paul, did you, did you read it? Paul begins to lay out his resume. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. I mean, my, my reputation precedes me. I know that, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What Paul is doing here is a stroke of genius. Okay, because uh, don't, don't miss this. You gotta understand, what Paul is writing these letters whether it's to the Galatians or the Corinthians or, or, the, or the church in Thessalonica, he is not sending them a private DM. He is not sending them a private in, a text message to, to a single person. He's not saying, hey, take this letter, read it, pass it down the road. He, when these letters are passed on, these letters were typically read out loud. And in the area of Galatia, he knew that some Judaizers would perhaps listen and hear the words of Paul. And so get this, Paul is peripherally speaking to the Judaizers, you know, the people who are like, you're not really saved unless you, you know, follow X, Y, and Z, follow A, B. He's saying, He's peripherally speaking to these Judaizers here, and he's saying, guys, I get it. In fact, I was one of you. Not too long ago, 
I was one of you. In fact, had Jesus not found me, I'm pretty sure that I would be the one leading the charge for your group. He's like, I, listen, I get it. And you really get a picture of this in the book of Acts if you study through the New Testament and follow Paul's progression. You know, b- b- before Paul became Paul, he was what? He was Saul, right? Before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. And in the, in the book of Acts, Saul is described as breathing murderous threats against the disciples of Christ. We see him ravaging the church and entering house after house after house, dragging off men and women to throw them into prison, to torture them all for their faith in Jesus. You can read all about this in Acts 8 and 9 and proceeding. Listen, if there was, if there was ever a superlative for the Apostle Paul, he would have been recognized as the most unlikely candidate to become a Jesus person. The most unlikely, you know, like you guys have high school superlatives, you remember, like the most likely to become the president, the next president. Like if there was any superlative to give the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he would have been recognized as the most unlikely candidate to become a Christian. Guys like Sam Harris would have nothing on Paul. In fact, it would have been more likely for Richard Dawkins to come to know Jesus before Paul would come to know Jesus. That's how far gone Paul seemed in the light of the Christian faith. And yet we discover that Paul wasn't actually too far gone at all. By the way, can I just say tangentially, there might be people in your life that you think deserve that particular superlative? Do you have people in your life that you say, ain't no way that person is gonna surrender their life to Jesus? Ain't no way that person, that person is so fired up against my Christian faith, so fired up against all things religion and all things, like there's no way. I wonder who you might give that superlative to. I wonder if it's a friend, a family member, a coworker, a wayward child perhaps, perhaps a parent that you have fought over your faith time and time again. You might think that person is too far gone. Friends, I want you to remember Paul's story this morning. Paul's story tells us of a God whose grace is closer to us than we can ever think. Paul's story tells us of a God whose grip on our lives is stronger than the grip of the evil one. Paul's story tells us of a God whose love is more powerful than we can ever fathom or imagine. Paul says in verse 15, he had set me apart before I was born. He called me by his grace. This is, like, this is my story. Like, I, I can't explain it. This is what God did. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Hear me, the great persecutor of the Christian faith becomes the greatest proponent. The fiercest attacker becomes the most loyal advocate. The fighter becomes the follower. This is a story of radical transformation. But the question that that I'm left with is, how? Like, like you, can, you can follow the stories of like a man called Otto. You can, you can track back to like the encounters, the relationships, the, the moments where you begin to see Tom Hanks' character begin to soften up. 
Like you, you, can, you can watch how, it, how Ariel gets her legs, right? She went to Ursula, blah, 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 like Trader Boys. But you, you, can, you can see how it all happened. Like how, how did all of this happen for Paul? How did Paul go from breathing murderous threats to becoming the apostle who would end up taking a beating after a beating after a beating for his faith? Who would, end up t- who would end up suffering unimaginable pains in his life and being brutally tortured for his faith in Jesus, who would eventually end up becoming killed for his faith in Christ. How does a person go from killing Christ's followers to being killed himself in the name of Jesus? It's all because of the gospel. There's, 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 no, there's no secret, there's no magic formula how Paul underwent this transformation. There's no, there's no like, like, I didn't see that one coming. Paul says it very clearly. It's because he had a first-hand encounter with the transforming gospel. Pastor and biblical scholar Todd Wilson said this of the gospel, and I wonder if it might resonate with any of us today. I love the way he puts it. He says it this way. Sometimes, hear me, sometimes we domesticate the gospel and forget it is itself the power of God. The gospel is not a flannel graph illustration to charm children. It is the power of God to transform the life of even the most hardened criminals. The gospel is not a mere formula for how we get saved. Uh, In other words, it's not our ticket to heaven. It is the divine power that actually brings about our salvation from first to last. The gospel is not simply a message about how to get right with God. It is not a message of moralism. The gospel is the very presence of Jesus Christ himself enabling us to be right with God and to live rightly before God. You cannot be right with God apart from Jesus. The gospel is not a quaint story about who Jesus was and what he did. It's a declaration about who Jesus is even now. An announcement that creates the reality of which it speaks. Let that sink in for a moment, will you? I wonder, I wonder how many of us have fallen into the tendency of domesticating the gospel. I wonder how many of us have boiled down the gospel to be something that is completely impotent, that is incapable of true transformation. I wonder how many of us have fallen into this trap. How about this one from, from Jeff Vanderstelt from his book, Gospel Fluency. I've used this quote before here, but I'm not afraid to use it again or ashamed to use it again because it's just so good. It's on the mark of what we're talking about here. It's such a helpful reminder for us. Jeff says it this way. The power of the gospel, hear it now. The power of the gospel is the power that enabled Jesus to overcome temptation 
preach with authority, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, and rise from the dead himself. The gospel is not just dogma, though it is doctrine we believe. It's not just history, though it is historical. It's not just past, though it happened. The gospel is the power of God made available to us through the Son of God who gave his life for us. And he is alive and at work in those who believe by his spirit. And that power was exerted, is presently available, and will keep us safe until the end. Can someone say amen this morning? This is what Paul was getting at when he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the very power of God at work in your life and in my life. It is not a dead, sterile message that is embedded under the dust of our Bibles. The gospel is the power of God that has changed you, that has brought you from darkness into light. The gospel is the power of God that that changed your heart so much so that you now all of a sudden have been given new desires, new passions, new orientation, new direction for your life. You think you brought that on by yourself? Come on. Some of you have a hard enough time getting not, not hitting snooze in the morning. You think you change the internal fabric makeup of your life? No, I can't do that. You can't do that. But you know what can? The gospel. The gospel can. The good news of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he continues to do today. That's good news. That's good news. The gospel has the power to transform every human heart to radically change us from the inside out. But, but get this, get this real quick. Let me, just, let me just sort of try to land the plane on this final point. The gospel doesn't just change us. The gospel actually changes everyone around us. Did, did, did you catch how that passage ended in verse 24? Paul said, and they glorified God because of me. <sighs> they glorified God because of me. Friends, did you know that the greatest apologetic tool that you have in your toolbox, immediately accessible right now, is your transformation story? Is your story of life change? In other words, your transformed life is the best conceivable argument for the truth, the authenticity, the purity, and the power of the gospel. Your life tells that story. In fact, I, I tell our college students this all the time at ACF during the school year. I tell them, look, you don't need to be a biblical scholar to defend your faith to an unbelieving world. A lot of, a lot of our college students feel like, I don't really know what to say. You know, when my atheist friend or my agnostic friend or my, my friend, you know, like they, they come out with me with arguments and all these things and like, I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to say. And so then they freeze up and they, they say nothing. They say nothing, right? And I get it. I've been there. You know, like I, I've, done, I've done street evangelism in the streets of New York City. Like they think any ungodly place you can go to try to share the love of Jesus is in the street of New York City. It's like, okay. You know, so like, I get it. I get it. And so, but, but, but I tell him, I, I just, I go back. I go back to the scriptures. I go back to the stories of God. I say, look, you don't need to be a biblical scholar to defend your faith. You don't need to have the fanciest 
and the most profound, most proficient arguments for the proof of God, the existence of God. But you do need to be able to explain why and how Jesus makes a difference in your life. At the least, you gotta be able to explain why Jesus makes a difference in your life and how Jesus makes a difference in your life. Otherwise, what business do we have of going out to an unbelieving world and telling them, you need to surrender your life to Jesus? And we can't even give a good evidence for why it is that Jesus makes a difference in this way. You need to be able to do that. And, and, and for Paul, it was real easy. It was summed up in verse 23 when, when people were saying about him. They were like, that Paul, he, look, he used to persecute us and he is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. You see, Paul, B.C., before Christ, he was killing Christ's followers. After Christ, he was willing to lay down his life for, for Christ. Like, like his story, that's his elevator pitch. That's his 30-second testimony. It's like, before knowing Jesus, I was killing a bunch of people that believed in Jesus. Like, after Jesus, I am now willing to lay down my life for this Lord, for this King. Now, let me just, let me just clarify something. Your story does not have to be that extreme, okay? I don't think God is... You know, as far as I know, I don't think there are, there are any Saul's amongst us, okay, looking to like tear, ravage the church. I'm not saying that needs to be your story, but it would do you well to occasionally ask yourself the question, where would my life be had Jesus not saved me? Can you answer that question? If I said, hey, um, Chuck, let's go out for coffee, bud. And, and would you tell me, where would your life be had Jesus not saved you? Yeah. Fred, where, let, let me ask you, you know, let's go out for a couple, just, where would your life be had Jesus not saved you? In the pits, yeah. Where would my life be had Jesus not saved me? How different would my life look had there never been a blood-stained cross on Calvary's hill? How different would my life look had there never been an empty tomb in that garden? How different would my life actually look? Let's be honest. Would it look any different? Let's just have a real come-to-Jesus moment here, right? Like, let's, let's, not, let's not put on a front. But like, really honestly for yourself can you answer that question with full authenticity and full authority and can you stand on your answer here's where my life would be had Jesus not found me here's where my life would be had Jesus not saved me and redeemed me what bad news would flood my life had I never been introduced to the greatest news of all time what kind of bad news would flood my life had I never been introduced to the good news, the gospel of Jesus, of who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing in my life today? Friends, you might not have the best arguments for the most staunch atheists, but you gotta be able to at least answer some of these questions. We've got to be able to answer some of these types of questions at the least because how we answer those questions will determine whether or not
people glorify God because of you and me. Friends, I said it before, but I'll say it again. I am convinced that the greatest stories of transformation are not told by Hollywood. They're not told on the big screens out there. They're told by you and me inside these rows that you're sitting in right here. The greatest stories of transformation are told by people like you and me, people who have been radically changed by an encounter with Jesus, radically changed by the filling of the Holy Spirit, radically changed by giving our lives and surrendering our lives to the Lordship of Christ. Our lives are right, like, like right here. You want to you, you want to know where to find the greatest stories of transformation? It's living amongst us. It's breathing amongst us. We are the living, breathing testaments of God's work in this world. And oh, what a day it would be for us to go out of these church walls and these church doors, and live our lives in a way where we are preaching the gospel. Maybe not with our lips, maybe so, but with our lives. And people, the world looks, and they all of a sudden they glorify God. Because they encountered transformed lives. Lives that have been transformed by the gospel. I pray that this would be a a launch pad for us to say, oh Lord, so let it be in my life. Bring me back to the joy, the pleasure, the extraordinary nature of your gospel. Let me pray for us here this morning. If you would, just bow your heads with me. If you're here today and and you say, you know, Dan, to be honest, yeah, I, I think I have domesticated the gospel. I don't know that my life tells a story of Romans 1.16. Like, I I think I believe it, but I don't know that I experientially have been living as if the gospel truly has the power to transform. In in fact, can I I just say, just, just so that there is no ounce of doubt, any hope for real lasting change, if there is any hope for real, everlasting change it's in the gospel nothing brings about change in our lives like the transforming gospel of Jesus can you can try you can work hard you can read James Clear Atomic Habits and try to better your life and do all of these things and yeah do all of that praise God I'm, I'm, hey I'm with you I'm with you I want a better version of me tomorrow than yesterday. I I, I want that. But if you want true, lasting, soul-shifting, moving from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, your only hope is found in the gospel. Our only hope is the gospel. Apart from the gospel, we have no hope for real, lasting change. There is no real, true transformation. There might be seasonal, momentary behavior modifications and changes and alterations along the way, but at the end of the day, if what we're looking for is true, meaningful life transformation, you can't get there without the gospel. 
You cannot get there apart from the power of God moving you along in his likeness. You cannot be like Jesus apart from Jesus. You cannot live for Jesus apart from the empowerment of Jesus. And so if you're here today and you say, yep, 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 I'm with you. I, I, I want that to be my story. I want that to be my life story. And I'm living my life in such a way that Jesus is king, that my hope for change in this life is in him, in the finished work of Jesus. I'm done striving. I'm done trying. I'm done climbing that mountain of performance and effort. I'm going to put my faith, my trust, my life. I'm surrendering my life. I love the beautiful picture that we just celebrated earlier in the service of these child dedications where these parents offer their children to the Lord. And in many ways, maybe for some of us, it's a matter of dedicating our own lives, our own hearts to the Lord and saying, oh God, I surrender to you. I yield to you. I open up my life to your will and to the things that you want unfolding in my life. May the gospel bear fruit in my life in ways that only the gospel can bear fruit. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying to you here this morning, friends. Again, my, my desire is not that you walk away with some notes from, from me. I want you to walk away with the voice of the good shepherd and his words etched onto your soul. Speaking gospel truths, words of good news and not bad news, words of hope, words of life and transformation. Would you, would you receive those words that, that Jesus has for you here this morning? Our only hope for change in this life is found in the gospel. And so, Lord, as we, as we surrender to you, as we give our lives and our hearts over to you, we stand on the promises of your word and of who you are. As we give our lives to you, Lord, your perfect will would be done in our life as it is in heaven. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to be the, the author of our faith, be the, the one who continues to write a good story in us. And, and I pray that the world would see the story that you are writing. And God, I pray that the world would fall to their knees and glorify you because of us. And not because we're so special or we're so extraordinary, but because of the extraordinary work, oh God, that you are doing in and through us. Write that story, would you? Write that story in us. We look to you for all these things. And it's in the strong, matchless, precious name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said.